Lord, I just want to say thank you that in the end, everything we have is grace. We haven't earned a thing. And thank you that you're so incredibly generous, unendingly generous, that we can receive your generous mercy on us through the cross of Jesus. That you've situated us where you want us, when you want us, to receive the mercy of God. And then out of our own need, to share that mercy with those around us. Jesus, be exalted. Jesus, be exalted. Jesus, be exalted in our lives, in our church, in this nation. Jesus, be exalted. Jesus, show off what you're like and how good you are through us. Through your merit, I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, um, so this weekend, as we've been talking about, you know, there's a number of, I think, critical prophetic voices for the church of Jesus, particularly in the U.S., not just around racial reconciliation, though that is, I, I believe, the provoking incident, but about what God wants to do in His church. To make us ready to, to demonstrate what the kingdom looks like here on earth until the Lord comes. We talked about that. Remember that last week, Ephesians 3.10, that now through the church, God is demonstrating his manifold, multicolored, diverse wisdom on earth. And so today, Jonathan Tremaine Thomas is going to address this. I got, I got to know about him uh, through Adam Cox. Uh, it was up at Nava Church with 24-7. They did a, a bunch of stuff together. And I started watching JT's videos. How many of you guys have seen one of JT's videos? Okay. Yeah, when, especially when George Floyd happened, LSF. I was, we were just, where do, what's going on? And JT was one of the people that really helped calm me down and understand Jesus is at work, and this is about Jesus. It's about G how can we wade into this very difficult space and find Jesus. And so, so I've had the just the joy over the last couple of days to spend some time with JT. Here's what I really like about JT: he is not into himself. No, he's a real deal. I've been around guys. I've been doing this for 18 years, and this guy's a real deal, man. He's humble. He's filled with the Holy Spirit, and it's just been a joy just to just to connected at a heart level the last couple of days. So I take it as a moment that Jesus is inviting us. So JT, would you come on up? And what I, what I want to do, yeah, it's, it's greeting. But he, he, here's, here's, the, here's the thing that every public speaker is, you know, tormented with, whether you want to be or not. You can think you're confident and your really identity is really solid. But you know, everybody up here is judging me. You just know it, right? But but we're a family here, and we've done this enough times. And I, what I love doing, JT, is I look, I know these guys. I know their stories. And I know we're all broken, looking for Jesus' mercy on us. And so so let's just kind of let JT off the hook now, right? That we're not here to say, was that a good message? We're not, we're not here to judge that. Does that make sense? We're, I, I, preaching's weird. It's an event that everyone's in. Does that make sense? Because we're all going to, we usually just say things you already know. But somehow the Holy Spirit and us together in this event, God speaks to us. 
And so what I want to do is just say out loud together that we receive JT. So I'm going to say, we'll say we receive you. So ready? One, two, three. We receive you. We love you, man. You can't do bad. Just do, in fact, do bad and we love you. All right? Okay. Amen. Wow. Thank you so much. It, it really is uh, an incredible uh, honor to be with you this morning on such a uh, momentous season of, of life uh, in such a critical and pivotal time in our nation and in the meta-narrative of what God is doing in the earth, um, it really is a, a profound time to be alive. And um, so this morning is, is, uh, is going to be different. I was telling uh, Pastor Guile that uh, I really don't know what's going to happen because um, I am, I'm used to speaking in places that uh, that are not my own community. And, you know, I've been in stadiums of 70 and 80,000 and I've been in congregations of 10 and 12,000. And I've been in a lot of different places, especially over the last year in the streets. And I could boast in all the things that I've, I've done or places the Lord has allowed me to enter in spaces he's allowed me to enter into. But uh, last night <clears throat> in our solemn assembly, uh, Billy Humphrey was sharing about John 17 and he was sharing about Jesus uh, saying that the glory of the Father he had now given to us. Um, he said he only spoke what the Father said he only did what the father did and the glory that made him and the father one has now been given to us and billy's whole premise and ultimate conclusion is that the glory rests in the belly and the belly is the place of vulnerability or weakness and so there's a glory that comes when we're able to make a divine exchange with one another by glorying in our weakness. And suddenly, all night, last night, the Lord just kept saying vulnerable, vulnerability, weakness. And I envisioned myself standing here and opening this sermon or this conversation. Well, I'll just, I'll warn you, most guys, the cool thing these days are to be conversational preachers. Or speakers. I am not a conversational preacher and I am not a speaker. I'm a preacher. <laughs> now, I, I'm just telling you that because you all are enjoying right now a tone of voice that no one <laughs> gets this far into the message. I've been on stage, I guess, four or five minutes now. Usually by now, it's I'm already in. <clears throat> But suddenly, this whole 
conversation from the Lord that has been pre- invitation from the Lord that's been presented to us into weakness and into vulnerability has me in a space this morning where I may not preach. Because I envisioned last night myself standing here and begin and becoming extremely vulnerable with you at the onset. And it made sense of a dream that I had on May 13th. And I'm going to read that dream for you. But before I do, let me boast for a moment. I'm going to boast in the fact that if I'm really honest with you, the last two weeks of my life, have been ridiculous. We're renovating this coffee shop in Ferguson, Missouri, where I live, and I'm making all the decisions on finishes and paint colors and fixtures. And if you love, if you're Joe Gaines and you love that stuff, great. I love design. I love spaces that look good, but I don't want to be the guy that has to make all the decisions. I'm leading an organization right now with an amazing team of leaders and volunteers and people around the country who are sowing their lives into moving forward our ministry, our movement, our organization. And if I'm really honest, on Tuesday mornings we do our staff meetings. And this past week I woke up and I dreaded having to lead that meeting. For the last eight, nine months, my influence, our organizational influence has radically expanded. And most days I'm like, Lord, I don't think I can do this anymore. My spiritual life, I found my prayer life. Just because you have a history of encounter with God, just because you have A history of having manna doesn't guarantee that you will always have manna. What I'm saying is, because I was anointed for something maybe this month last year, doesn't mean I'm anointed for the same thing this month this year. So I'm saying these things to tell you that in the last eight, nine months, I've experienced, 12 months ago, the hand of God came upon my life in such a profound way, like angelic level activity in my house, in my prayer life, in my home. And then it lifted. The season passed. And I felt like I've been in a desert. Well, this is really encouraging, JT. That's what we came here for. So for two weeks, for a month, or well, for a long time, I've known I was coming here, but I had planned to fast for the last two weeks, and I and I I fasted ish. But I was like, Lord, the reality is, I'm heading into Tulsa, and I feel like I'm in the desert. I'm not supposed to feel this way. What can I possibly bring before these people? I had a dream on May 13th. And in the dream, I'm just going to read it. I dreamed that I was on what I thought was a family Zoom call. COVID has had its work. (laughs) 
Now we're dreaming about being on Zoom. Everyone was on and waiting for me, but at first I couldn't get my camera turned around properly and it was on all of these prescription drugs that were sitting on the table in front of me. There was someone officiating and I realized that it was a funeral for a family member. When they said that it was my turn, let me, let me stop and just interpret that portion. I'm on a Zoom call with the family, but apparently I must have been on my phone that has a camera on the front. So I couldn't get the camera turned around on me. So the camera is on the table in front of me and on the table are all these prescription drugs. In other words, the family could see all of my weaknesses. The family could see the things that I needed healing from by looking at the prescriptions. And it says there was someone officiating or hosting the meeting, and I realized that it was a funeral for a family member. In other words, this call was happening in a time of mourning. Somebody say mourning. Somebody had died. And when they said it was my turn, I thought that they wanted me to open in prayer, so I did. Then the next person went, and suddenly, and suddenly I realized that I was in a classroom. The teacher was grading us for an assignment where we had options for which way we would present certain messages. She said that mine seemed much more vocational and didn't follow the instructions that had been laid out on the syllabus. In other words, I assumed that the family wanted me to do what I had always been good at doing. And I had assumed that they asked me to pray, so I did. And apparently when I prayed, I prayed like a professional prayer. I prayed like somebody who has served as a teaching pastor at a mega church for the last four or five years. I prayed like somebody who has led stadium prayer gatherings with Lou Engle and Nicole. I prayed like a professional because I reverted in the moment where the teacher was testing us to see what way we would choose to communicate certain things. I reverted to my strength and my talent and my crowns instead of reading what the teacher actually wanted in the assignment and being transformed by the instruction that the teacher wanted to give me. I don't know if anybody understands I mean, this was my dream, so this is for me. Maybe it's not for you. But in the dream, she said mine seemed much more vocational. And I didn't follow the instructions laid out on the syllabus. And as I read what the requirements were, I realized that I could have easily knocked the assignment out of the, out of the park. But somehow I was too busy or so busy preaching, doing what I know how to do, that I didn't even realize there was an instructional guide or even realize that I was in a class. I think <clears throat> that this dream speaks of the reality of the testing in the classroom that God is bringing the bride into right now. 
Let me let you know, 2020 and the events of 2020, where there's death in the streets and where there's there's uh, uh, chaos and division, where Tulsa even now, on a weekend of mourning and, com- and re- remembrance and commemoration, there's something of the presence of God. As we were singing that song, uh, uh, Spirit is Moving. Spirit, come come move over us. Come rest upon us. The Holy Spirit is the teacher. He's the counselor. He comes. He doesn't. You don't need a counselor when you're feeling all right, when everything's good. You need the comforter and the counselor when things are not okay. When things are not okay, the comforter comes in. And when you don't know what to do, when you cannot revert to your own strength and your talent, suddenly you step out of human strength and you step into the strength of God. And the Lord has been, has been creating conditions in the church and creating conditions in the culture and creating conditions in the streets for us to get to a place where we can see that right out on the table, I'm going to lay out my weaknesses. I'm going to, I'm going to lay out everything on the table. God is setting all the conditions for a global table, table that shows that the whole earth is sick and there's only one healer and he's desiring to set the stage for divine healing like we've never seen before. But the invitation is to enter into the fellowship of his suffering. I want to know Christ and the, and know him in the fellowship. Somebody say the fellowship. No, say it again. The fellowship. I want to know Christ and know him in the fellowship of his suffering. You know, I could stand here and read off and talk about black suffering and, and the history of inequity and the history of injustice and all these different things. But I'm here to tell you tonight, what happened here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, 100 years ago was not the suffering of black people. It was the suffering of Jesus. He says, in as much as you do this to the least of these, so also have you done this to me. It wasn't Greenwood that got burnt down. It was the dream of heaven that got burnt down. Do you understand that racism is not resistance to a black person or resistance to a native or resistance to a Mexican or resistance to an Asian? It's resistance to Jesus. So Jesus is jealous for the glory of the Father, and the Father is jealous for the glory of the Son. So I started reading to prepare for the solemn assembly and come this weekend. I started reading a book. I believe uh, someone... uh, from the Tulsa House of Prayer Senate, mailed it to us called The Burning by Tim Madigan. And he says, how can we heal in the intro, intro to the book if we don't know what we're healing from? And I was just taking notes and, and I wrote, it, it is possible to heal without consciously knowing what the injury is. However, we can also be wounded without consciously knowing our own condition. 
We need to discover our woundedness or our brokenness. Then let the judgment of God diagnose our condition or our injury. And then let the Holy Spirit teach us how to heal. I just want to frame for us this morning the fact that we we often refer to the historically oppressed as simply people of color. But I'm here to tell you that in heaven's eyes, the historically oppressed are not only the people who have been oppressed, but the oppressor. Do you hear me this morning? If you are responsible for oppression or you are the sons and the daughters of those who oppress others, then you also have inherited transgenerational wounding and there are pathologies of oppression that have you historically oppressed as well. And the humility that Jesus is inviting white America into is to say, I need, I, I need to understand my own oppression and my own woundedness because I don't want to stay in that. God deliver me and God heal me. Does that make sense? Well, my family didn't own slaves. We immigrated here from Ireland. My family was too poor. I didn't own a slave. I ain't never called a black person up in word. I ain't did it. I got black friends. Da, 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 da. Jesus was sinless. Right? Did he, was he without sin? Can we all agree? Yet he took on the sins of the whole world and said, Father, I'm guilty. Forgive them. Does that make sense? So to know Christ and to walk as he walked on the, on the earth, we by, we by inheritance uh, and, and by very nature, we come into the nature of Christ and we take on what Christ takes on. And we stand in the gap with Christ to build up a hedge. Now, it's easy for me to go there and some of you are probably shaking already. Oh, no, I knew it was going to come. The black man's coming in the pulpit. He's going to point out all the white people's sins. Some of y'all know that's true. That's what you're thinking. <laughs> well, we better brace ourselves. There's people that's not in this room this morning because they were afraid of an angry, angry black man coming to call out white folks. But I need you to understand that when we know what our injury is, we can be intentional in how we're treating it. We can know what activities to avoid altogether, what changes in behavior have to happen. We, we know how to prevent others from making the same mistake. We can also intentionally foster an environment that facilitates healing and avoids re-injury. We can also take strategic measures for developing resilience. Somebody say resilience. Still taking notes on this book and it said that Negroes were toiling for whites across the railroad tracks here in Tulsa. Now, the railroad has always been a symbol that divided or disconnected people from people. They're like lines of iron and steel in the zoning of cities around America that, sell, that separate the haves from the have-nots. 
But there was a, a an old prophetic man, not the Baptist Bob Jones, but a prophetic Bob Jones out of North Carolina. He talked like this. I'm from North Carolina. I was born that way. I was born over there where people sound like this. Even black people. You could call me a black Nick. <clears throat> Sorry. But this guy, this prophetic man named Bob Jones, he prophesied in 2005 that there was a great end time harvest coming on the earth. And he said there's a breakthrough coming in the railroads. He prophesied a bunch of other stuff, stadium Christianity, evangelism, all these different amazing things. But for some reason, that prophecy itself, that that phrase, a breakthrough in the railroads just gripped my heart. I'm like, Lord, what is the breakthrough in the railroads? And I believe we are in the moment of the breakthrough in the railroads where God's saying, I am coming to deal once and for all with the issue of the one new man in the church. Where cities have been divided, where people have not been able to live in community with one another, understand one another. I'm going to release the Holy Spirit to come and deal with that, with, with that, which my son, uh, uh, accomplished on the cross in Ephesians 2. He, he destroyed the dividing lines between the two, right? And he created within himself one new man. And so we're here in Tulsa. In a place where it says on one side of the tracks, black people did things like clipping lawns, weeding gardens, cleaning houses, cooking food, suckling infants, uh, driving uh, white folks, cleaning their cars, operating elevators, shining shoes, preparing their clothes, raising their children. The, the, the servant class of Tulsa, uh, they, they, li- they worked by day in one side and they, they, they got dirty and, and, uh, had their hands in the toilets and they did all the dirty work, right? After slavery. And, and then they crossed the tracks into Greenwood and there they would change their clothes. And on Thursday night, it says they would promenade. You know, the, the term prom. The, the woman who over here was, was busy sewing and, and using the skill set that she inherited from the Lord through the, through the pain of chattel slavery, the art, the art, the artistic skills, the craftsmanship that was cultivated in over 400 years of slavery suddenly was being employed. They were getting paid a little bit of money as they were designing these ornate dresses with materials that they could never afford for themselves. And she might, if she had some, some remnants left over, she might take a little piece right here and store that away because maybe in five years she would be able to, to store up enough of that thread to create a, dr- a dress for her to go and promenade on the main street of Greenwood. Brothers are buying cars and and uh, and, uh, and and starting to, to to dress, you know, in in three piece suits. And that's why even today, this morning, we can look around this room where it's predominantly white, and you got folks in t shirts and sandals and shorts. But then you could drive across town right now, this morning, and walk into a predominantly black church, and you see women with top hats on and men in three piece suits. Why? Because during the week they were blue collar, but on Sunday morning, in the presence of God, you could stand with dignity like you were king. You can come in your Sunday best, and they don't know whether you're a janitor or a CEO. 
See, that's, that's the legacy of the reality of American history. The Sunday dress-up culture came from the lived cultural experience of servitude through the week, and, and then our people could then uh, uh, find themselves and live in this, this air of affluence that was out of reach on the other side of the tracks. This dignification is still prevalent today in black urban communities where you see families who are on uh, government assistance and welfare and, and food stamps, but yet they're wearing $220 Jordans and, and, and all of these things that it doesn't make sense in the natural. It's, it's inherited from what happened in history, right? But inequity has always existed. And there's a certain type of spiritual quality that is required to manage it. In Acts chapter 6, if you would look real quick with me at Acts chapter 6. Are you guys with me this morning? In Acts chapter 6, we see the description of a dispute that arose. It says in Acts chapter 6, I'm reading from New King James, it says, In those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. The Hellenists were, were Greek-speaking Jews. It says, Because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. In verse 5, the saying pleased the whole multitude. And so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith. Somebody say faith. And the Holy Spirit. Somebody say Holy Spirit. And Philip. And it goes on and it names all the ones they chose. And then in verse 8, it's repeated. And Stephen, full of. And Stephen, full of. Now y'all say it like in a black church. Faith. Stephen, full of. There we go. Now I have a witness. And power. Somebody say power. Did great wonders and signs among the people. Let's, let's, let's break this down for just a second. The gospel is increasing and a complaint arises because there's a daily serving of food. And the widows from the Hellenist widows are not getting as much food distributed to them or given to them. It's a clear inequity, a clear disparity. Uh, disparity. There's, there's stereotypes, there's prejudice, there's injustice happening. So they come to the spiritual leaders, to the apostles, to the disciples, the 12. And they're like, look, you got to settle this injustice that's happening. Uh, there's, there's inequity here. And what they did not do was discount the dispute. What they did not do is go, well, it's not right that we should 
uh, uh, should serve and get involved in this injustice issue because we're just responsible for, for preaching the gospel. So let somebody else take care of that. Why don't you go and, and, and organize a protest and call your senator or your congressperson and they'll take care of the injustice. That's not what they did. What they did, though, is they said, you know what? There are people who we have discipled as as the twelve who we know are filled with the Holy Spirit and they're filled with divine wisdom and they are the ones who have who who have the 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 the, the gift mix to ensure that the the daily serving of tables that the injustice that's happening does not happen they didn't just sweep it aside or discount What's happening? They didn't tell the Hellenists to go pull themselves up by their own bootstraps and find food somewhere else. They said, no, this is our responsibility. So we're going to find people that can make sure that there is no injustice in the daily serving of the food. And we're going to make sure that they are uh, mature in the spirit because they understood that this was a spiritual issue that took spiritual leadership to solve. Are you with me? Seven years ago in the city where I live, it, bro- it broke out in Ferguson, Missouri, when an 18-year-old black man was killed by a police officer and, and, and the whole nation suddenly began to, to be gripped with the first rumblings of civil unrest and a racial conversation that actually had begun even uh, uh, seven or eight years before that in 2012. Well, no, that's not 2012. <laughs> but uh, uh, in 20. Uh, 2007 and 2008 when uh, Barack Obama began to run for president and we began to see uh, what was in people's hearts, what was coming out of their bellies, their vulnerabilities online, hiding behind uh, um, uh, online false names. I can't even think of the word. You know what I'm saying? Handles. Everybody gets an online handle and everybody has an opinion about this black president or half black president and suddenly race is entering the national conversation and we're seeing prayer meetings i would go to prayer meetings that were predominantly white where the white folks would pray god give us anybody but obama and then i'd leave that meeting and go to black churches and they'd be saying god thank you for this moses and i'm going lord are we praying to the same god you got prophets and prophetic people well during his second term, the Lord says that this this uh, uh, abominable administration, he is going to shut it down and such and such and such. And this prophecy and this revival is going to happen and da, 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 da. And then you got black prophets over here. Obama's going to have a second term. I said, guys, we have an issue. The church has an issue. Sorry, I need to stay on tech. I need to stay on focus. Because don't even get me started on Trump and Biden. If I have to expound or alliterate on the intensity of the dysfunction that got revealed in 2020 in the church, just raise your hand if you saw the dysfunction. This is God. This isn't Satan This is the glory of God that comes to disrupt and dismantle everything 
to expose everybody. It's not just Republicans being exposed. It's not just Democrats being exposed. It's not just black folk. It's not just white folk. If you believe that you are on the right side of the exposure, you are wrong. Because when the glory of God steps in and he walks through the lampstand of the earth, the glory exposes everybody and everything. The difference is humans exposed to hurt, to hurt, and to harm, but God exposes to heal. So if we're living in the divine exposure, it's because God is laying his hand upon us and he's after something. But in Acts 6, they land on Stephen, a man full of faith. And in Luke 18, a question is asked that when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? And there's a battle over our faith. Not just our faith in God. Young black millennials and Gen Zers are leaving the historic faith in record number right now. Over conversations about politics and identity, uh, uh, over black liberation and, and justice issues because there's the, the, the perception that white evangelical Christianity not only has ignored the plea of suffering, but has perpetuated it. And indeed, if you were to look through history, even here in Tulsa, you can see that Greenwood doesn't exist because of evangelicals who felt like the Ku Klux Klan was the godly answer to preserving the godly value. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not going to go into a history lesson on the Klan. But let me let you know that faith, there, there, there's a... There's a, there's an assault on our faith. There's a, there's an assault on our ability to continue to believe and move toward one another. Faith not only in God, faith in the fact that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him and that God's hand has not left this moment in our, in our, in our, in our history that God is in the midst of us and that God will bring about what he has started, that he will watch over his, his word and perform what he, what he began. He who began a good work in us is faithful to complete it. There's, there's, our faith has been waning. Many people have, have lost faith and put faith in, in humans only to be disappointed. Well, if we just get Trump in another, in the office again, everything will be okay. Well, if we just get Biden in, well, everything will be okay. God is saying we cannot put our faith in a human man or a human institution. God is looking for faith on the earth. Will he find it in the day that he's walking among us? Where is your faith today? Have you grown weary with the conversation? Maybe you're in the room today because you love your pastor and you're like, well, I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to show up, but I really am tired of talking about this. Oh, well, I know it's the 100 centennial, but man, I'm just so tired of this conversation. It's okay for us to be honest that we're tired, but I'm here to tell you that God says, I pray that your faith will not fail. 
Jesus is justice. And so Stephen is chosen to oversee the serving of tables. And it says he performed miracles, signs, and wonders among them, so much so that he upset everybody. Even the politicians were so upset, Stephen ended up being stoned. It was in the work of coming to the table. It was in the work of communing, of communion, of setting a place of communion for those who are like one another, for those who speak different languages. The Hellenists speak a different language from the Hebrews. And, and God says, this is the place where the real outworking of your faith begins. Do, uh, do you hear me? Is this too much? Is it? It's at the table. That everything that you learn from a pastor in a Bible study in a small group, it's in the table. It's at the table where God says, uh, where David said, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You don't know what you actually have inside of you. You don't know what your weaknesses are until you posture yourself in a place where it's tested. And it gets tested, the outworking of your faith, even the signs and the wonders and the miracles happen in the place. It happens in the in the place where you are outside of yourself and where you have to depend on God to come and heal and and, and, and bring together and, and make whole that which has been broken in a way that is far outside of your own uh, learning capability or experience. Does that make sense? So Stephen and this crew of people are filled with faith and power, filled with the Holy Spirit. Faith, in Hebrews 11, it says, is the substance of things that we hope for, and it's the evidence of things that we cannot see. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. We must earnestly contend to be filled with faith. We have to stay faith-filled and faithful as the witnesses of heaven in this age of fear and disappointment. Faith that moves us toward one another and not away from one another. Faith in God's ability to deliver on his promise and faith in fellow humanity to truly be transformed by his power. Justice comes by faith and not by law. Galatians 3 says that we have been justified by faith. In other words, in Galatians 3 verse 8, it says the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand saying in you, all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Let me, let me break this down real quick. In Galatians 5, it says the entire law is to love your neighbor as yourself. But it says if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. What happened here in Tulsa in 1921 was largely the result of meetings like this. We're on one side of the railroad tracks. White people worshiped God and then left at the dinner and went to the dinner table. 
and talked junk about black Tulsa. They left the prayer meeting and with their own mouths, they grieved the Holy Spirit because they could not see Jesus in their brother. And so they literally destroyed, physically destroyed, because what proceeded from thought made it to the heart and out of the heart, actually what proceeded from the heart made it to their mouths. But then eventually what was word, it became flesh and the violence of the heart, the iniquity of the heart became flesh and blood in the streets. And so people who are probably God fearing deacons and elders in the, in the community, they were out there shooting guns when the spirit of, of when Satan came and found uh, iniquity in their hearts that had been undealt with. Do you hear me this morning? Well, There's a, there's a, a tendency for us now to, to pursue justice by thinking that if we pursue a change of public policy, even in the black community, if we just get laws changed, or if we can just, if we take the revelation that we now have today uh, uh, about systemic injustice or or racism that exists in our city if we just confront everybody around us and we start to play the role of the holy spirit don't you know the holy spirit's the only one who can bring conviction but what happens is how many of you know how many of you you don't have to raise your hands but you got a revelation god breaks your heart by faith, supernaturally, God comes and shows you some some prejudice in your life or some areas in your life where you've held bitterness or, or fear or hatred or rage or anger against the other, whoever they may be. And then you made it your mission to make everybody around you have the same level of conviction that you have. And when you did that, you stepped into the role of the Holy Spirit. And instead of it bearing the fruit of the spirit, here's how you know whether you're in the flesh or the spirit. If it's in the spirit, it bears the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, all those different things. But if it's of the flesh, all it produces is more anger, more rage, more division. Does that make sense? And so Stephen is full of faith and the Holy Spirit. So in Galatians 5.16, he says this, I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for they are in conflict with the spirit. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such thing. There is no law. I'm here to tell you we're at time this morning. I want to let you know. That God is bringing us, he is bringing Tulsa into a place of vulnerability this weekend and, and, and the days ahead in the 100-year commemoration, if you will dive into looking at your weakness, if you will allow the Lord to dig a hole in the walls uh, around your community and your neighborhood, around the, the nice picket fences and the well-landscaped yards in the, in the communities around here, if you allow God to dig a hole like he did for Ezekiel, and he said, Ezekiel, look upon the abominations of your people. If you will allow yourself to, to, to go and to see 
see what God wants to show you. And then in light of that, begin to say, God, I want to see you. Where were you? Where are you? What are you doing? What are you laying your hand on in my life? I'm here to tell you that God wants to release a move of the spirit like Tulsa has never seen. God wants to release something of faith and power through Oklahoma that can heal a nation. I don't know if y'all hear me this morning. I'm not preaching to you. I'm preaching to powers and principalities. I'm here to say that God has chosen this city. In Amos, it says, when calamity comes upon a city, have I, the Lord, not caused it? We have to wrestle with that. There is a history of calamity in this city. But we also have to reconcile the fact that the Lord was present then and he's present now. And it's the Lord making an issue of our issues so that he can release the comforter, the counselor. Through faith, by faith, he can release the power of the Holy Spirit to restore, to reconcile, to rebuild all things. Amen? Would you stand with me this morning? Father, I thank you. I thank you for releasing the power of the Holy Spirit without measure in our midst. Father, I thank you for the glory of the Son, Jesus, Christ, our righteousness. I thank you for releasing glory that makes wrong things right. Lord, I thank you for giving grace to Believer's Church to to be laid bare before you. For the glory of the Son, Jesus, I ask, God, that you would move among the families in this spiritual community, God, and that you would release faith and power, God, wisdom to set the table for this city, to set the table in our nation, that you would release great grace for divine healing, that you would raise up the ancient ruins in this city, the desolations of many generations, and that you would raise up builders unto your heart, apostolic builders, even out of this community. Lord, I thank you for a spirit of adoption being released on this house in a greater measure. God, I thank you now, Lord, for giving power in the spirit to understand those who look, sound, relate totally differently. God, I'm asking God for a peacemaker anointing on this community, Jesus. I ask that you would release the ministry of reconciliation like never before and divine healing in mental, emotional, and spiritual conditions. Lord, I'm asking now for a deliverance anointing and a healing grace to come upon this house. Father, I thank you for deliverance from generational uh, pathologies of oppression. Even if you're in this room, you say, I know that's me. If you can get vulnerable and raise your hand and just say, I want to be fully free from any residue from my history or my ancestors. The iniquity of generational sin right now. We plead the blood of Jesus over every bloodline in this room, God. I thank you for complete freedom and deliverance. 
God, even taught biases, Lord, uh, subconscious, subliminal uh, pathways of thinking, God, that we didn't even know were there. God, right now, in the name of Jesus, I, I declare the blood of Jesus over every life, every thought process, every system of thinking, every way of being, God, that has prevented us from fully seeing Jesus. I break in the name of Jesus every blinder, every cultural bias, God, everything that keeps us from seeing you in the beauty of your holiness, even in the other, God, right now, we break it off in Jesus' name. And I ask, Lord, release a deliverance anointing in this house. We bless you, God. God, I pray for those who have held bitterness in their hearts. God, I, I thank you for the honey from the honeycomb this morning. That you would release the grace to forgive. And we thank you for it, for faith and power being released. For the healing of the nations. In Jesus' name, amen. JT, thank you. Thank you. You know, guys, the uh, don't you love that he went to vulnerability with us? Because he doesn't know us that well. <laughs> but we're a recovery community, aren't we? Knowing the only way into the grace of God is through our weakness and our brokenness. I just take that such as such an affirmation, JT, of what the Lord has done in us. And saying, hey, we know the way forward. It's through our brokenness. Isn't that cool? We have to be smart or talented or anything. Just go get Jesus healing and bestow it to others. Isn't that beautiful? I want to bless JT. And I want to bless JT in a real practical way. So we've got baskets at the door. We'd like to just give him an offering to let him know, go after it, man. We bless you. We want you just to see. Let's pray for him to have more administrative help. And they can even bring the administrative help on staff. Man, do I know how that makes a difference. I've got faith to believe for that. And that's the stuff just sapping a lot of energy. It's important stuff. Um, so can we do that? And so at the doors, you just, you know, throw money, you know. Well, don't throw it. But, you know, those guys there will, will take it and make sure it gets <clears throat> to JT and civil righteousness. Okay. Is there a way to get to cash? I'm, I'm, that's a great question, Zach. If, there, if you don't have cash, what do you do? This is like, this is throwing us off. Mark? Oh, yeah, you can fill out the credit card info on the offering envelope. Okay, no? COVID happened. See? The screens. You can do this. There you go. Text any dollar amount to 84321. No? What is happening? What is happening right now? Here we go. Go to civilrighteousness.org. Our intentions were so good. <laughs> Go to civilrighteousness.org if you don't have cash. 
give there. Zach, thank you. That was very, very helpful. We missed that entirely. Okay. If you do have cash, throw it at them. Or a check. Okay. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week.